Coaching Inside the Box. A youth soccer coaching podcast. A Brit, a Brazilian, and an American discuss culture and environment and the impact it has on youth development. Can you coach inside the box? Coaching Inside the Box is back and ready to talk some World Cup soccer with two of the biggest uh, opposite side fans I know. If you are, if you only could be a part of our text string between Philippe, Andy, and I talking about the World Cup, the back and forth between Andy and Philippe is next level. Why? Because Andy still remains to believe that Richarlson and Brazil are overrated and not the Brazil of old, and Philippe continues to push on as every giant soccer fan of their own country would that Brazil is guaranteed to win this World Cup. Philippe, Andy, we are through to the quarterfinal round. It is next. It is now the, the top of the top, the best eight teams in the world pairing off. Tomorrow, we've got the first two quarterfinals kicking off. Are you enjoying this World Cup? Yes, very much. I love the enthusiasm, Philippe. Uh, but it, it, it's a different feeling than just enjoying. It's more like I feel like we have an obligation to win. And, you know, I'm very, I'm so excited. I'm having trouble sleeping. Like, it, it's, it's serious stuff. It's not like, yay, just. Yay, and, and the best part is you soccer. This is the first World Cup your wife has ever watched. So this is her first view into what World Cup soccer She's is like. She's so concerned with me. <laughs> <laughs> that, that makes two of us. <laughs> <laughs> the best part is Andy still contends that Richarlson's two goals weren't the two best goals of the World Cup. <laughs> oh, so, so you you pick up the ball on the edge of the box. You know you're playing against South Korea, which you know the, I mean their defense has you know relatively little experience at the highest level. Within the top half of the World Cup because they're in the round of sixteen. Yeah, but you know they you know they don't have the you know the best defenders. These guys are not you know the studs that play in the EPL or something. You know it's they, and the the guy does you know Philippe Philippe said. Did you see this? You know, he did seven. He did juggles. say seven juggles. Seven was, juggles. It and was I three. Counted. It was three. It was three and a quarter. <laughs> you know, because the Korean guy got a touch on the ball. You know, so you know, here we've got the master of exaggeration, and I, I didn't watch the game because I'd had dental surgery that day. Yeah, and he fell asleep. You know, I fell asleep. <laughs> you know, I, that was the game I really wanted to see, and you know, and and so. And, and so I was relying on, and, and I thought, I've got to see this goal. I've got to see this goal. Oh, the goal was fantastic. The goal after the, the crappy juggling. The was juggling fantastic. was whatever. The, the, but the, but the combination juggling. play in the tight spaces between the, I don't even know who was involved. It was with Neymar, Richarlison, and... No, it was Thiago Silva Marquinhos, the two center backs right across okay. the top of the 18. The combination was fantastic. <laughs> it is so the thing. my two center backs can do that kind of combination, and he's saying that my team doesn't play well, beautiful. It kind of reminds yeah. me of my 2013s, man, when my center backs get Center backs aren't going to be there when it counts. And and the the interesting thing is that that my my eighty one year old uh, you know mother in law that you know has has huge rehab right now because she's ailing you know can juggle better than Richarlison. <laughs> so the guy flicks a ball in the air and scores a bicycle kick volley whatever you want to call it Absolutely and then he has fantastic. one touch three juggles with his head, his head as the ball is dropping he pulls it. And beats the guy. He actually, there's another guy coming, so he kind of splits both of them with that touch. That touch was fantastic. My 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 point is, pass makes a run. My oh. my point is that you know that volley was fantastic. The touch right before the volley, 
you know, he, he literally meant to bring it down and it popped up to six feet in the air. Now he did a fantastic recovery, but great players. I mean, can you imagine Ronaldinho taking the touch of a dinosaur, the biggest dinosaur that ever lived, you know, before putting the ball in the net? You know, and Ronaldinho meant every single inch of what he did. He was a true genius. Well, Richardson got lucky. Well, if, well, if well, I'm being honest, if I'm being completely honest, Andy, you have the, the, the golden touch when it comes to predicting how players are going to turn out in a big tournament. I wish you would have said these awful things to me before I played in big state cup tournaments as you have with Richarlson before this World Cup because the goals that Richarlson have scored are next level and if only I'd have scored next level goals in state cup uh, at U16, maybe we would have been national champions. Yeah, but some things were a lost cause before you even start. So, you know, there's no point in helping you, was it? Golden there? touch. <laughs> he says Richarlison's a donkey. Brazil's not going to be very good as a result. Richarlison scores definitely two of the top four goals of this World Cup so I'm far. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to be insulting the donkeys. <laughs> so, so like in 2002, everybody had their hair cut the same way as Ronaldo. Everybody's going to be doing the pigeon dance after the World Cup. <laughs> I saw a video of Richarlison t- teaching it to Ronaldo. Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah. All the, the atmosphere that is happening in Brazil with the former players you know, supporting this current national team. And again, and I was talking to Andy on a more serious note, like Brazil's going through a hard time pol- politically. It's been very, very divided. One side versus the other side. Kind of the U.S., but I think in their situation, it's a little more extreme. There's a li- even a little more hate between both sides. And the country is finally kind of united now because of soccer. And it hasn't been since 2006. Since we lost 2006 and we brought Dunga in and we started playing with three, four defensive mids and a very mediocre team, like we haven't had that kind of team that made the Brazilian people you know, excited. And I'm going to tell, I'm going to use the example, for example, of my dad and my uncles who are Andy's age-ish and, you know, they are... Young guys. They are, they are kind of grumpy, you know. Oh, they've seen, they've no, seen, they've seen like Pelé, they've seen, they've seen, you know, all these great players from all the way back then. They saw, you know, the Ronaldos and the Romarios in their prime. So, like, they, since 2006, they just hated the national team. Didn't care. They all said, Brazilian soccer sucks. Brazilian soccer sucks. They all suck. They all suck. Doesn't matter. They play in Europe. They all suck. And now, finally, the this national team is, like, making people fall in love with the national what? team again. Which is, for me, that's winning the World Cup already. Well, let's let's unpeel that onion a little bit. Because you talk about the political nature that exists within Brazil right now. And, and, and I don't know it nearly to the degree that you do. But I do know that they just had an election. And it is very divided and very divisive. And you said that the country is coming together around this World Cup. I think that's something that, that our listeners would find interesting and fascinating. So, so when you say that, what do you mean? Like, what, do you have any specific examples of, like, of, 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 of seeing stuff on social media where family members are really rejoicing on both sides of the aisle related to this 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 world cup well it's just seeing people that argue and fight the whole time on social media they're now sharing the same stuff they're all praising the same stuff like it's just uh, the whole scene in brazil for the past few years 
has been, you know, you what look at the media, it's all negativity, it's all one side bashing the other side, it's all problems and stuff like that. And now it's the opposite. Everybody's talking about Brazil, everybody's talking about the World Cup, everybody's excited, everybody's happy. Everybody's wearing green, and, green, Everybody. yellow, and blue. Exactly. Yeah. And and, um, and I think that, uh, I mean, this is, a, well, this is a soccer and culture podcast. When we think about, we think about the, what makes the World Cup so great. It's that, that, the whole world, with the exception of part of our country, the United States, the whole world stops to view it, right? Like we've all heard the story of, I think the Ivory Coast, the Civil War literally took a break during yeah. the World Cup um, when Didier Drogba's team was uh, um, qualified. Um, and, and, and I think that's what makes this so fascinating and watching cultures collide. I mean, the U.S. played Netherlands a few days ago, right? And um, watching the collision of culture um, from the Dutch coach versus the U.S. coach um, and the Dutch coach just going next level in terms of tactical thought process and literally goading the U.S., you know, praising the U.S. and how great they were and they're so good on the ball and they should really try to play. And like it's fun watching a U.S. team finally not take this counterattacking style to the game and really knock the ball around, goading the U.S. into, you know, puffing their chest out and feeling really good about themselves. And then in the first 15, 20 minutes Netherlands just sitting back and letting the US have the ball and then picking them apart on the counter like I just love the the the, the cultural aspect of every country and the pride and and how they look at the game colliding in a you know a world a, a world stopping event that is the World Cup yeah, you see, but the, like, the problem is though here we, we've got rose-colored glasses to the to the max you know in in Brazil's case you know I really believe the the Brazilian people want this so badly and it's kind of like we were, you know, just a few months ago, we were discussing Brazilian politics, you know, and I made the huge mistake of mentioning Go Lula to, to Philippe, who's, who's a rabid Lula hater in politics, you know, and, you know, about three hours later after he got done ranting about Lula, <laughs> I, I said, I'm not mentioning Lula anymore. You know, and, and here and, we and are had, bringing him up. I had said that, you know, Lula is ahead in the polls and, you know, and Philippe totally completely disagreed with me. Well, Lula was ahead in the polls and he won, I, he, he won the contest and, and, you know, Philippe's probably going to complain it was rigged, you know, but... <laughs> But uh, it's I don't think we, I, I I'm not I'm not those kind of per people that are gonna be saying that it was rigged and all that kind of stuff. You know, we would never know. But yeah, it's definitely we're not we're not gonna get onto politics. Yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> but, but see, it's it's rose-colored glasses I was talking about, and the Brazilian people need this. They want this. You know, they've been in this. You know this this cycle of uh, of maybe like a, as a country being a little down with what's been going on at home, you know, and you know it, it would be fantastic for their country if Brazil won. The problem is I'm just not seeing it. They haven't played anybody yet. Well, you, you know, were you did sleep through the Korea game where they were it was one way traffic for the first forty. But the minutes. highlights contain nothing but the goals for Brazil. There wasn't anything that was truly. Because, hold on, you, a you because they scored so many goals, they had to cut. They had to cut the other highlights so out. Have you looked? <laughs> look, it's not too shabby. But have you looked at the highlights on this World Cup? They all have been way shorter. That it's the the people. All, most of their highlights come from Fox. Fox and Fox is, is doing a terrible job presenting. Correct. This World Cup. They're doing. They're they're shrinking the highlights because they want quicker videos. They're not. But the normal highlight videos are eight, ten, twelve. I watched the highlights from Brazil and Korea, and there are a lot of the stuff, a lot of the skills that 
you know, happened in the midfield and the play didn't result in goal. They're not showing the highlights for me. Those are I mean, moments that are beautiful in Go the back to the first goal Rafinha scored against Korea, right? Like, like there, and there were some fortuitous touches, but the, 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 his ability to create, I think it was against two or three players, right on, the, right on the change of possession to keep it, had a little Puskasy pullback touch. He played it in, came off the defender, but the, 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 the tight space wall pass that he was looking for to then play it across the box, I mean, it was really good stuff. Yeah, but I'm a Leeds fan, right? And, you know, I wanted Rafinha to do well. I was, I was kind of like an older you know, and, and wiser Philippe when Rafinha was playing for Leeds. And that's my team. You know, and I never rated him. You know, I, I just couldn't get into him because, you know, he wasn't effective for Leeds. And, you know, it's the quality that you're playing against that limits your ability to do these things. And, you know, we're not playing the quality of the EPL yet with Brazil. We're now getting to the games where we're playing EPL quality sides but nobody in did. the quarterfinals. But that that my whole point is nobody did. Who did Argentina place that play that is at that quality? And they struggled. They struggled against Australia. I mean, it's France. Ah, they didn't struggle against Australia. I, I, I mean, Australia scored, but the 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 chunk of that game that I watched, uh, Argentina looked quite good. Um, they were dominant. They yeah, were dominant, yeah, they but they, besides the goal that Messi scored, they didn't create much. They, their sec, the Australia's second goal, they it was a bad mistake I, by I, Australia. Australia <coughs> t- scored another goal, had chances. I, I mean, it wasn't an easy game. I, I would ag- I would agree with I would agree with you, Philippe, from this perspective. In as much as I think that the most, and we'll see how the World Cup plays out, right? Like uh, the, the, you know, there's 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 luck, there's 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 bounces, there's referee calls that are all going to that make an make an impact in determining uh, uh, um, who wins and who loses, but. Um, Argentina has a, looks a little bit more like Spain to me, minus um, minus Messi and Di Maria uh, than France does or than Brazil does. The difference between France and Brazil is that when they're on, they are much more dangerous and creative in the attacking third as a collective, in my opinion, um, and much more risk ri- risk willing to take than the Argentinian side and certainly way more than the Spanish side. Um, if there's anything that, I, that I've learned or I think we've, we're learning from this World Cup is that the world is starting to, 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 to give up its fascination with possession and starting to recognize that, that dribbling and, 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 and risk-taking um, opportunities are actually much, much more uh, advantageous. And let me read a tweet um, to that to that um, thing. It's from Tom Beyer, who I'm not a giant fan of for a few reasons. We can save that for another pod. But he tweeted, passing in possession, a thing of the past, question mark, attacking and dribbling back again. Japan versus Spain. Japan, 228 passes. Spain, 1,058. Japan, 17% possession. Spain, 83% possession. Japan versus Germany. Germany, or Japan, 269 passes. Germany, 771 passes. 26 versus 74% possession. Japan was was very effective dribbling and creating space in 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 in, in counterattacking moments and Spain sideways and backwards till the cows come home never taking risk and going for, going for it is 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 part of um uh part of their problem in terms of achieving at a level that And I will tell you this you look at Japan you look at their players it's they're not the most talented players. They're not the most skillful players. They're ta- they're technical, but they're not the most. Skill- but just because of them playing their attacking-minded way, 
it works. Now imagine if you got the talented players that Spain has, but they were more vertical. They were more, you know, let's go to go, let's take risk oriented. It would be even better. So it's changing. We need to start looking at how to change the approach of the game. Yes, again, you said 83 versus 17% sure. against against Japan. Yeah. Against um, Morocco, it was 77 versus 23%. They Both games, they completed over 1,000 passes, and they scored against Morocco. Zero goal. They had one shot and, on and goal after completed over 1,000 passes. One shot on goal. It's the, ver- it's the, it's the vertical nature of the game that – for me, is really pleasing to watch. It's why I think France is my favorite to win the World Cup at this point because their ability to to get out in space and go at players and not necessarily be worried about oh we, I take somebody on in this in this in, in, in this section of the field and I and we in the phase of play and I, we lose the ball. There's not that worry and 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 their ability to do that um, and willingness to take those risks. I think is what puts them um, at the top of the level in terms of most likely to win this World Cup. So, you know, my pick is still Argentina. And I'm going to hit you with hold card, uh, hold card, cold hard facts. (laughs) 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 So to get old. (laughs) In the World Cup so far, uh, only Messi's Argentinian teammate Angel Di Maria has completed more successful dribbles, nine. Andy, could you read that with some more enthusiasm? Because you're about to put me to sleep over there. I'm sure it's really good content, but you're reading it like an old woman. My my wake-up alarm hasn't gone off. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's six in the morning here. <laughs> so, so uh, Angel Di Maria. Uh, there we go. We're on, we're on our way. Like? Alexi Lalas. <laughs> <laughs> Has, has completed more successful dribbles, nine, uh, than Messi has, eight. They're the two leaders yeah. in the World Cup. Only Griezmann has registered more key passes, um, the f- which is the final pass before a teammate shoots a goal, than Messi, nine, uh, in the group stage. Messi is joint top with, again, no, sorry, with his PSG teammate Mbappé, joint top, in terms of expected goals at the World Cup so far. Uh, and only Mbappé has registered more shots on target, seven to Messi's six. The Argentina captain sits top of the World Cup for progressive passes, having registered 26, four more than any other player, that's designed, sorry, defined as a pass that moves the ball 10 yards or 30 feet closer to the opponent's goal than it has been recently, uh, or any completed pass into the opponent's penalty area. So what you've got is key stats... You've got Messi and Di Maria dominating key stats at this World Cup. Yeah, because they played all four games, 90 minutes, pretty much. Besides Mbappe, they had got the third game. He didn't play a portion of it. They played all games. Yeah, but they're good enough to. Brazilian players in the group stage, they played one and a half games. So, obviously, they're going to have more stats. Yeah, but why do they play one and a half games? They just don't have a Messi and a Di Maria. If I was a coach, I wouldn't. Because we already threw threw and we needed to save the guys from injuries because it's seven games in 19 days. In the the last round game. That's why we fly against. you've You've now played four games. It's only in the last game that you were already through. So, so you have to go with the stats as you see them. Stats are stats, right? 
And the two guys that are leading the stats are Messi and Di Maria. These are the guys no, that have Mbappe. gotten it done. Mbappe. Oh, yeah, as well. You know, that's number three. But these are the guys who have gotten it done at the highest level of world soccer, club level, you know, and international level. You know, they're the Copa America champions. You know, these are the guys that have gotten it done. So you can't argue with this. And Mbappe is the guy that's got it done. The three people here are the ones that have gotten it done. I'm sorry, nobody in the Brazilian team has gotten it done for a long time. So, you know, so these are the guys that are right now the GOATs. You know, you know not the greatest of all time, but currently the greatest you know, in, in the world. But Leo is the greatest of all time. And the way he played in the last game, he was dominant. You just committed a sin against Pelé, who is in the hospital. You should say I'm sorry. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> If you're not watching this on YouTube currently, you, you should see Philippe. The greatest of I mean, all his, time. his eyes are bulging out of his head. Uh, <laughs> with Andy talking about uh, Br uh, uh, Brazil this way, to to be fair, I, I think that 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 Messi and Di Maria have been some of the most visually pleasing players to watch in this World Cup, and your stats support that, right? They support my subjective opinion of I've really enjoyed watching them play. Minus, minus uh, uh, um, uh, the, f the first game. I, I thought that they were dominant for, for, for long stretches, but the game was disappointing nonetheless. To that end, I just don't think that the rest of the Argentinian roster is of a level that when they're playing the Netherlands, which I think is going to be a dogfight, I think the Netherlands pragmatically are going are gonna to put uh, Argentina to, to test. And I, I just question whether Messi and Di Maria are going to be enough um, to get them past both the Dutch and then Brazil. I think those two games back-to-back, -back, I think it's unlikely Argentina end up in the final. With that said, Philippe, close your ears, earmuffs. I'm rooting for Argentina because I want to see Messi at that level. I want to see Messi succeed. Yeah, and I think when you've got one special player, that's the difference maker. We mentioned Pelé. He was that one special player that was the difference maker in three World Cups. Yeah, yeah at, I, at a time when, when, when it's certainly the first World Cup, the rest of the world hadn't taken notice of Brazil yet. They were like, who, are the, who is this team and who is this young player that's, that's, that's here? And you could hatchet somebody all game long and not get called for it. Correct. You know, it was a different game back then. It, it was, was, it was game. a different it was game brutal. during Maradona's era. It was a different game 20 years ago. Yeah, yeah but one of the interesting interesting facts about this World Cup is that is that you know Richarlison when he's not playing you know he, he gets treatment at the same clinic as my 82 year old mother-in-law you know to make sure that he can walk when he's 30 you know he's <laughs> just not a good player you know all everything he's done has been against second rate sides you're killing your credibility here even in the World Keep Cup going. though you're killing your credibility and he, Philippe you should feel happy because as Andy poo-poo's all over Brazil it's that golden touch it's guaranteed they win this cup as a result oh. though It, you know, and I would like nothing better if they were playing like the Brazils of old, and, and not, which they were against Korea. But due to your age and your, and your health, Serbia, you fell asleep and missed the game. <laughs> but I'm lighter because I got one less tooth. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what are what are takeaways that, that 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 we have so far related to the way these games have played out? I mean, I kind of I kind of tip my hand a little bit from a perspective of. Uh, hopefully our fascination from a youth soccer in America's perspective with 
with possession for the sake of possession, um, hopefully that can start to ebb. Hopefully that can start to subside. Um, because keeping the ball in the defensive third and the middle third of the field um, is way easier than, uh, than creating and scoring um, against increasingly better approaches. I remember as a kid loving to play teams from St. Louis because uh, Andy aptly pointed out, hey, guys, they're just going to play sideways and backwards the whole time. And, and so wait for your moment win the ball off of them and then do something special and stick in the back of the net. And my team did that over and over and over again. Um, and so hopefully that, that, that fascination with possession for possession stake, possession sake subsides. And, um, and I think that's something that we've seen over and over in this world cup, um, that, that, that teams that are willing to, to play vertically, to go for it, that aren't afraid of losing possession in a moment to create something. Those are the teams that are seeing, uh, seeing things happen. And you know the history behind why teams in the USA play so negatively, right? It's because it's, the British? It's the English. Yeah, you guys all messed us the up. The British, I should say. You know, yeah. because, but, you know, um, coaching has been dominated for decades by my peers that I grew up with. And, you well, know, you brought most of them over here. Thank you. Not most of them, but a, a significant Kansas chunk. Kansas City, yes. Th- you know, through British soccer camps, yeah. you know, which is now Challenger Sports, we bought hundreds and hundreds and thousands. And you know, many of them have stayed in, you know, hundreds and thousands have stayed in America, you know, because so many coaches came over over the years because it became the largest camp company in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, so, you know, we injected all of these British coaches, but they were, they were knowledgeable. Don't get me wrong. These were qualified teachers you know, that, that had a physical education degree. Most of them had played at least semi-professionally, and every single one of them had a license. Otherwise, they could not get the visa to come over here and work in the summer. So they had to show exceptionalism just to get that temporary visa. Which fits in well with the British. <laughs> yeah, well, exceptionally, you know, think we're better than we are. It's kind of like the Brazilians in soccer. You know, yeah, well, the Brazilians are um, <laughs> kind of kind of like the Americans in every facet of life. <laughs> Thank you, you Alexi Lawless. <laughs> we look, we look, we look at the U.S. team. It's very similar to Spain. Like it's v- the center mids, the three that played, they're very good, but yeah, but they, in, to- they in a miss, totally different way. Than, they than miss, Spain. they miss the next thing, the final <laughs> third. <laughs> if from if a, U.S. the U.S. is like keep the ball. Give the ball to Pulisic and pray. Uh, I, I am very uh, positive on the U.S. team. I think that this was our best showing at a World Cup from a soccer perspective. We didn't just defend and counter. I thought we went toe-to-toe with England. Um, I thought that, that, that the Netherlands picked us apart from a tactical perspective. Uh, I thought we were naive from that game. I thought Berhalter um, had a really good World Cup, and I think the Netherlands just outcoached him. Um, I think, But to all that end... Our team played soccer and tried to play and played successfully for much longer stretches stretches than they've ever done in any World Cup previously. And so I'm quite optimistic that 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 we're on a path that 2026 could be a coming out party for us. How far we go, I don't know. You know, the you know the the, the game's a funny thing, right? You don't it doesn't the best team doesn't always win. Um, uh, um, and and so who knows how that plays out. But with that said, like I'm optimistic for the way that the United States played, but 
what that what we as a country are missing what we talk about oftentimes on this podcast specifically is we we imitate too often the english um, from a coaching perspective and from a culture creating perspective within the youth game and 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 that is the miss and and this world cup is going to continue to show that because england is not going to win this world cup um, and it's going to be france it's going to be brazil it's going to be argentina it's going to be a team that has a culture built around um uh, um going Going for it, uh, de- de- deceptive dribbling, creative play in 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 a in, a, uh, in, a, in an urban environment uh, setting, right? Uh, concrete jungle setting. And if England does end up succeeding at this World Cup, it's largely going to be because they've they've started to twist and turn at the top level from their players' perspective. And there are players in the English team, Phil Foden being a perfect example, that are are very creative and dynamic, different than England has in the past. So so let me let me kind of stop you there because who is the nearest player on the American World Cup squad, you know, that resembles Phil Foden? Who's who's the most similar player on that squad? Uh, I mean, is Pulisic? that kid coming off the bench, or uh, Aronson? I, I'm just talking about the whole squad. You know, you know, look at the whole squad, and if you were to look at the whole squad, who is most similar to Phil Foden? In what way? In terms or of Neymar, or you know, in the whole squad, Serginho Dest. No, that kid that came in uh, in the second half, Aronson or something. No, that came in and always take people on on the wings. No, very famous father. Oh, Timothy Weah. No. I mean, I don't know nobody's name, so it's hard Tim, for me Tim to try Ream? to guess. No. Matt Turner? No. <laughs> Come on, guys. We're supposed to be experts here. We're looking like novices, you know, in front of a world audience. A world audience. We, we do have international listeners. Um, I, Sergio oh, I'm Dest give you a is, really hard is my favorite. What? I'm, I'm going to give you the father's name. Uh-huh. Claudio. Oh, Gio. Well, it's difficult to say. He didn't play this World Cup. Why I've would we never, think of him? I've never watched <laughs> you know, I've but, never but seen see, him play. You know, here's the guy. Here is your Neymar. Here's the guy that can beat four, five people on a dribble. I can't say that I've seen Gio play all that much because I don't watch the Bundesliga, you know, and he hasn't he hasn't he been hasn't fit to play in, for the U.S. He hasn't come in to play. Yeah, but you know, realistically, if you've been studying this game, this is your one player that can carve a, a massive opening for your team, and you don't play him. That's like not playing Pelé in 1970. You know, it's you know the best player, the best dribbler. So now Claudio Reyna. Of 2022 is like Pelé from the 70s. No, no, Gio Reyna. Gio Reyna. Gio Reyna. Yeah. So, but, you know, I'm saying if you're Brazil, you play Pelé, you know, and the coach doesn't hesitate to play their most creative player, you know, and, you know, they didn't even play Gio. That, that's, a, that's a really fair point, specifically in, in the group play in later stages of the matches. He, 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 the sub was defensive-minded as opposed to saying, hey, we, we've, we've got our foot on the neck of the opponent. Now let's put our foot down and put Gio in. Remember, this is the coach that, to me, when I asked the question, what should be working on, what should we as youth coaches be working on in practices, told me five versus two. Sideways and backwards, baby. Sideways and backwards. (laughs) I mean, how are we ever going to get around this mindset if you've got the national team coach telling youth coaches to work on five versus two? In Brazilian favelas, they're working one versus three. They get the ball and they say, I'm going to beat these three and score. Mm-hmm. You know, and all these years, our youth coaches are supposed to be working with two and a half times the advantage, let alone one against three, you know, one third of the, you know, of the advantage. 
you know, two and a half versus one third. And that's the mentality of, and I introduce a lot of British coaches over here. That's the mentality of a lot of the guys that I introduced to North America because we were brainwashed by the boring game. Mm-hmm. You know, we won, the wingless wonders. We won the World Cup in 1966, you know, without any skillful wingers, you know, and that hurt us for decades. You know, I grew up in the era of Charles Hughes being the English director of coaching. And, you know, the drivel he wrote about the game, the negativity, the long ball, stick it in the mixer, you know, fight for it at the other end, territorial. (laughs) You know, this is like the First World War, the way the Germans and, you know, and the Allies went at it over trenches. You know, Alexander Haig sent 20,000 people, you know, to their death in one day in the First World War, just trying to, to, to literally run the machine guns of the Germans down. What an idiot. I'm sorry. You know, you've got to be creative. Was Alexander Haig French? He was, oh, he was English. Oh, okay. English the, general. Because the French were still using bayonets in World War One when they ran up against the machine guns. <laughs> yeah, you know, they just didn't have the tools, did they? You know, it's like Richarlison. <laughs> <laughs> that was a pretty good one. That was that was pretty good for sure. Uh, okay, so um, so so as as as. A concern that I have related to this World Cup, and and like, I live on on Twitter on on U.S. Soccer Twitter, um, and 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 much of U.S. Soccer Twitter, I think, are are not just f- fans of the game, but many of them are coaches, rec coaches, competitive coaches. Um, they're in, they're invested into the development of the game, and a concern I have that can happen is is first off, let me praise United States uh, soccer um, um, Twitter if you will, um, soccer people, we have developed to a pretty significant degree where they're watching these World Cup games and they are analyzing what's working and what's not working. They're talking about different, you know, they're, they're Monday, Monday uh, um, afternoon quarterbacking uh, the games, and that's fun, right? There's a lot of development from a, a thought process related to the game that can happen. My concern is that the easy route for those coaches and those enthusiasts, supporters of the youth game that are invested in the development of the youth game here in the United States can get entirely too far out on their skis and start to look at these games from a perspective of, ooh, you know, uh, uh, the Netherlands went with a back three um, and a wingback system, and maybe I can start to get my U12s to play in this back three wingback system. We can start to create overloads in, in zone 17 and zone 14, and, 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 and they start looking at this game in this really scientific scientific perspective because that's what they see at the World Cup level and they think if I can get my U12s to play like that we're going to win a World Cup and it is so obnoxiously wrong-headed um, and, and I worry that that and you know as with any development right any any improvement in life and society we take a step or two forward and then a step or two back and then a step or two forward and then a step or two back and so it's a jagged level of of, of development or improvement and I worry that that we're going to stymie our our progress from a youth perspective um, in the United States because we become too fascinated with the uh, overloads in zone 14 versus a culture that creates players that can play one versus three and are willing to play one versus three. Sure, it's a terrible concept, terrible idea from a World Cup final perspective. Every time you get a one versus three, you dribble into it. But it's a fantastic concept for developing players that can win a World Cup. And again, we're talking about the teams that can win the World Cup. And obviously, I'm not crazy. And... You know, we're, we're playing. 
Felipe is so mad. Hey, Andy, can you just say Brazil's going to win the World Cup so we can move on to the next I don't thing. need him to say that. I don't want him to say that. It will be better if we win without him saying that. I, the last thing I want is Brazil beat Croatia and then beat Argentina and go play France or England in the final or Portugal and Andy goes and, yeah, I think Brazil's going to win it. I don't want that. If, if I was to say Brazil is going to win the World Cup, you just put a picture of Pinocchio here, and you know, and and that'll do from now on with these podcasts. <laughs> or just your picture because your nose is bloody big. <laughs> but for me, for me, it's like again, it's looking at, at the game. Sure, look at the formations. Sure, we're go- can we learn from it? Sure. Now, as you pointed magically, it's what will be important to develop the kids. And as we were talking, I obviously think Brazil is going to win. Want Brazil to win. I'm scared to death that something might happen and we might not win. Yes. Do you, don't, you don't think when we play Argentina, I'm scared to death that Messi might have the game of his life. Or we play France and Mbappe might have the game of his life. These things can happen. They both have the one player that can make the difference. I would rather play 10 Englands than playing one France because of that one player. No offense. And I think England has a really good squad. It's the best English team I've seen, to be honest with you. But, again, it's the one player. It's not factor. saying much, though, is it? Honestly. Huh? You're saying it's the best England team you've ever seen. It's not saying much. If England the, second, the other English team that I saw that was really good was 2002 when we beat uh, England in the World Cup with the Ronaldinho goal from the Can you name anybody that was on that English team? I can't recall at this point. David Beckham, Paul Scholes. Wayne Rooney. um, No, Michael Owen. Neither of those were great dribblers. You know, now Michael Owen was fast, didn't have any trickery. You know, he just, you know, he went health of leather and great at cutting with the ball and a good finisher. but But back to my point, England had a good team. You know, they were all big players in top teams in England and in Europe mm-hmm. and you know they had post goals for me was a great they mid, but the they, again they missed those the one player that can do the difference Nothing. which now England has I don't think they have a player that it's off the charts great but they have the Foden's the Saka's the players that you know are more skillful. you know what I noticed about this World Cup is our dribbling skills and I'm talking about the world the dribbling skills in the world have regressed compared to, for example, what Ronaldinho used to do. The moves that Zinedine Zidane used to use, Maradona. Yes. Right? We're not seeing fantastic one-on-one moves done to break the ankles of the defenders in the way that we saw these things done in eras gone by. You know, and so and what's weird about this, though, is the players, the dribblers, the deceptive dribblers are protected by the referee to a far greater degree. The world has actually gone away from and, you know, and this is players experimenting in the street. This is coaches that maybe used to teach the moves. It's gone away from developing players that can do the moves um, in, in a way that is really, really dangerous. You know, and, and people would say to me, look, you can easy, easily say that, but you've got to walk the walk. You know, over the last week, we've placed two players on U.S. national teams. You know, in the last week, two of our girls have placed on U.S. national teams. JC and who? Genevieve Hull. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she made it as well. Yeah. You know, and this is no coincidence because we're breaking down moves to three components, two of which are totally ignored. 
by the international community and one which is terribly coached in the international community. So we're breaking our moves down into three distinct stages, which is the setup, the pre-fake, and then the fake. And every single fake I've seen done in this World Cup is improvisational. It's reaction, reacting to a circumstance. It's not planning the circumstance and then putting in, you know, so planning meaning setting the stage and then doing a pre-fake, so actually putting the defender in the position that you want with a pre-fake and then doing the fake, which changes the narrative from the defender being in control to the forward totally being in control in the one versus one dribble. You know, and in years gone by, the actual fakes were a world better than they are today. I'm seeing a real lessening in the quality of the individual fakes. But I'm still seeing fakes that work, even if the quality, in my opinion, is horrible. You know, but it's definitely not the setup, pre-fake, and then ripping the fake situation. And these things aren't difficult to set up. Mm-hmm. I can put myself in a shield position you know, to, to work on the drag Maradona, and it hasn't been seen on the international stage. It's a totally new version of the Maradona that only kids in our club, to my knowledge, have been able to perform, but performed thousands of times with absolutely great success. My daughter Holly was an average speed player, and we used to have, you know, we, we still on occasion have pro players come in here and use our facilities. And one time there were two pro players in here playing small-sided games, and they grudgingly let Holly join in with, you know, with them because I own the facility and I was letting them play for free, you know. And so Holly went out there, used a drag Maradona and made them look foolish. And she was 13, you know, just because the drag Maradona contains a pre-fake and then, you know, a really good Maradona turn. Spell out what a pre-fake is just so that the audience that maybe hasn't listened to the Maestro episode knows. It's, it's, it's when you, um, you do something to panic the opponent before you actually do the fake. So you want to get an opponent to panic, turn their hips, you know, take off in the wrong direction, you know, because you've, you've dragged the ball, for example, in the drag Maradona, quickly in the opposite direction to the one you're going to go, you know, and it causes this panic attack response on the part of the defender, a fight or flight response. And the response, because we're competitive athletes, is fight. And when we fight, we throw a punch. So they, they sprint in the wrong direction. You know, they literally leave the stadium for a cup of coffee, not because of the Maradona, but because of the prefake. Because the prefake is a rapid action in the opposite direction to which the Maradona is going to take the player that did the prefake. If that makes sense, yeah. When I mean talking about the double scissors specifically, it's not a it's not a rapid uh, uh, prefake that that builds this this um, this this panic in the defender. It's almost the double scissors. The first scissors is done at seventy percent. Uh, you know, it's, it's a bad scissors intentionally to lull the defender into oh, I know exactly where this ball's going. So that then the actual fake is done with precision, power, and speed, and leaves the defender for dead. And if you don't believe us, watch Fernandez. He did a terrible scissors. Yep. You know, and you know the result of his terrible scissors was even when he did a terrible. The half Argentinian Matthews, goal. If you don't know which Fernandez we're talking about. Yeah. The you know yeah, and I do believe Leo Messi got the assist on that, but I'm not sure if there was too much time elapsed before, you know, Fernandez or too many touches before he put it in the net to be counted. Um, but Fernandez did a terrible scissors, just the way that we educate people to do a terrible first scissors. 
you know, but because of his terrible first scissors, the defender said, now nah, you're not catching me on that one, you know, and but the defender in in saying that mentally was prepared totally to take the next fake, which was a horrible fake, you know, and here's the thing. Everything that any defender at that level has learned is show your opponent to their weak foot and the outside. And because of the terrible first fake, the setup fake, you know, and I'm not even sure if Fernandez meant that. I'm not sure if he's been coached that way. Maybe he just got lucky and his, his, you know, his scissors are terrible. You know, but because of that terrible scissors, the defender was primed to do everything against his training and his instinct and go to the outside. And he ran to the outside and gave Fernandez a wonderful opportunity to score, which he did. It was you a know. great finish. Yeah, but nobody coaches that, as far as I know, in the world. We coach it, you know, because, you know, it's, it's elementary psychology. Do something crappy to an experienced defender, they're not going to take it, and they're going to be ready for what's coming, you know, because they know that that wasn't the real thing, you know? And, and so there's so much psychology involved in this, and, you know, this is going to sound really kooky but like most things you say yeah you know it's like my face like everything else it's you know it's it's this is proven in the world of magic this is what magicians do the big ones they do this to the max in vegas they got whole stages set up to make the whole audience look in a different direction you know while the fake is being you know, the trick is being performed on the other side of the stage. You know, they do this dog and pony show. Everybody's dancing and the music's going. All the lights are on one side of the stage. They forget the double-decker bus on the other side of the stage that has been there since they walked into the performance. And then what happens is right before the double-decker bus disappears, all of a sudden the fireworks go off. It's like July the 4th, you know, and everybody gets totally hypnotized by the one side of the stage where all the action has been and now the ante's been upped on that side of the stage and they go absolutely blind to what's happening on the other side of the stage where the trick is occurring and the bus is on a ramp and the ramp quickly goes down into the floor the bus is driven across to the other side of the stage the other ramp takes it back up on the other side of the stage after the whole party on that side has migrated like in carnival in rio has migrated to the other side of the stage and the, the side of the stage where the action was has now gone dark and so now the action's on the other side of the stage and the audience, like a bunch of fools, is watching the action go completely blind to where it's gone dark and up comes the double-decker bus. But when the lights go up for the whole stage again, the bus is not there, it's there. And everybody's thinking this is incredible. Everybody at home listening to this episode as they drive down the highway is wondering, is this a magic show episode? And who knew Andy was such a connoisseur of quality double-decker bus vanishing acts? This is why we've got unique facilities in Kansas City, because I relate all these other things in life to our game. You know, and you know, when I do that, it becomes obvious you know, that we have, a, you know, a really exceptional opportunity here in so many ways, in such a different philosophy, but it's so deep and it's so logical and it's so rational and it's so proven just not in soccer. Well, maybe it is in soccer, in the favelas of Brazil. You know, this is where magic has occurred for decades and why I love Brazilian soccer and, frankly, why I'm not impressed with the current team. So they don't seem Brazilian to me. So the next thing you're going to tell us is that it was actually the Harry Houdini escape act 
and the escape artist that is Harry Houdini is what helped you to develop some of the maestro, choose some of the maestro skills specific to escaping out of trouble. I know what you're saying. You're nuts, Andy. You know, I, I get it. You know, it's, it's, I'm just, I'm just teasing you. And anytime you can uh, intertwine Harry Houdini into a culture and soccer development podcast, I think you are doing something right. That actually is a very good point, and it's a very good analogy because I mean, soccer is magic. It's who the best magician. Oh, it all depends. Wins. All depends on so, you know. I, you know, I went home when my father was was on his deathbed. You know, and you know, I'd been constantly by his bedside for for a week. You know, and uh, and there just happened to be a soccer field next to the you know the the end of life ward that he was in. You know, and there was a Sunday morning going down, a Sunday morning game going on. You know, on the soccer field. You know, right by you know where my father was. So I wandered down for just you know ten minutes. You know, to watch this game. For, you know, just to get out of you know you know my malaise. You know, my frustration at my father. You know exit in this world you know and I got down there and I was reminded of, of just how ugly the game can be because <laughs> there was a bunch of guys with beer bellies all cussing at the referee booting the ball as hard as they could forward you know and playing with absolutely no intelligence no skill and completely destroying any concept of beautiful next thing you're going to tell me is what Suther Sunderland versus Newcastle <laughs> <laughs> what's that Oh, just, it was a top-level English game. I was waiting for the punchline. <laughs> <laughs> we see it, you know. It, it, we see it in varying degrees. And Spain didn't play the beautiful game, and I was—I loved it that they got punished. Not oh, and it's happening every World Cup. Okay, but let's let's be really it's clear. What every we, World Cup. Let's be really clear about that. The Spanish players are unbelievable on the ball, and their technical ability is next level. The problem is that they continue to play in such a way that is so risk averse and and so unwilling to take them. There was a moment in the game against uh, Morocco where I can't remember which Spanish player was, but he was in the attacking third, had had been put into space was in a 1v1 could have taken that player on and been in the box for a good opportunity on goal but it was too risky and so he turned around and passed it to somebody else and 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 it's not as though Spain's not capable of it it's 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 a mental thing it's it's that they're it's not a hundred percent a mental thing it's it's they're not so, willing to so the Spanish you know international squad right you know how many of their international spot squad play on Real Madrid, Barcelona? You know, I'm talking about the forwards. All of them. I'm talking about the forwards in Spanish, you know, soccer. No, oh, none, none, none. Yeah. What does that tell you? Yeah, that's they a good don't point. develop strikers. You know, does Foden play on Manchester City? Best team in England? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the best teams and right now, England players. We you know we've got. You know, Harry Kane playing in Spurs, they're top five. You know, we've got, you know, Foden plays on Manchester City. Grealish plays on Manchester City. You know, they're, they're second right now. We've got Saka who plays for Arsenal. They're first right now in the EPL. Go on. You know, and so this is an English squad that we don't usually see the like of. And they're creative. Mm -hmm. You know, they've got the ability on the ball that we haven't previously had. And Rashford, he plays, you know, number four, is it Manchester United? They're four or five, you know, in, in the EPL right now. And and this isn't occurring in, is, is Morata the highest ranked player that play, he plays for Atletico, right? You know, and, no, you know. I, I don't actually know. Yeah. Yeah, so, he, doesn't you know, he play in Italy? 
Oh, he, he may do. I, you know, I haven't been following him because he hasn't been one of the world's best strikers, in my opinion. So, you know, I haven't really been following him because he doesn't trip my switch. He's not creative on the dribble. You know, he scores goals, but not in bucketfuls. You know? I mean, Asensio doesn't plays for Real Madrid, but he doesn't start very rarely. Okay, so, so you know, what, what we've got here is we've got a fine example of how some cultures are just not producing the players because of the conservatism in the culture. And Spain's one of those cultures. They, are, they have the dubious honour of being the least offensive team ever to win a World Cup. And it's only when you look at offensive in terms of the ability to score goals. Because the way they play, to me, is offensive. <laughs> <laughs> it, it it just irritates the heck out of me. I find their style of play boring. Upsetting. I find it boring. Oh, upsetting. Boring. Yeah, and I love Spain. I love Spanish culture. I've been there numerous times. Um, I've hosted exchange students from there that I consider family. Um, but I I and I want to root for the team. I can't. It's just boring. It's as as boring. educators, right? I think our number one responsibility is to build confidence in the kids that we educate. Confidence. Yep. You know, that bravery, that creativity, that willingness to go for it, yep. you know, so that they feel that they can take on any challenge in life. And, and you can't have any, you can't be confident if you're not willing to make a mistake. Yeah, yeah they're you not taking risks. Failure. You have to embrace failure. It's risk embracement. It's yep. failure embracement. It's go again, go again. Yep. You know, fail upwards. You don't fall downwards. You fall upwards, yep. you know, in, in the right programs. And that's what we do here in Kansas City. We have our players lose the ball. Go on, lose the ball. Do more, do more. Yep. You've beaten three, take four on. Yep. That whole mentality. And still they pass more than they dribble. Because that's the nature of our game. It's a team game. You know, your teammates are going to get that pass. But in our, t in our teams, in our club, they might get the pass after we've beaten two players. You know, that's just, you know, but they're still going to get the pass. And passing is going to happen more often than deceptive dribbles or moves. You know, it's just that's the nature of the game. But for some reason, you know, we've gotten to this point where, like you were saying, the stats with Spain, horrible Unbelievably horrible. Horrible, horrible stats. You know, passing out of the wazoo sideways and backwards and no risk. Over no a bravery. thousand shot, over a thousand passes and only one shot on goal. Sick. Mm. It's, I mean. It's absolutely sick. It's point, I mean, it's just. And, it's crazy. And you, you look at Spain's record since hey guys, 2010. You look at Spain's record since 2010 in the World Cup. 2014, they were knocked out in the group stage. I'm depressed. I'm they depressed de now. Can you talk about some of the more 18, positive? I'm, I'm depressed. Same I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm 18, same thing. I'm 18, gonna, same thing. Knocked out in the round of 16 with 80% possession let's against Croatia. Let's get Croatia. off this topic. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, I'm going to walk outside of this studio and I'm going to shoot myself if we don't get some, you know, some levity into the process here. Uh, so, so you wrote something. This is good. Okay, so this is a joke. Here we go. Are you going to ask me to try to take them down this time in the middle of the episode? I didn't ask you. I just gave you feedback from one of our audience. who happens to be a relative of mine. Hey, jokes hey. are fine. Keep them coming. So this is the joke. I can take it. And it's a joke, okay? So a Brazilian sneaks into the World Cup final without paying, as Brazilians do, <laughs> and, and spots an empty seat on the halfway line front row. So he walks down to it and asks the Englishman in the next seat if the empty seat is taken. The Brit says, no, you can have it. The Brazilian says, who in their right mind would have a seat like this for the World Cup final and not use it? The Brit says, actually, I was planning to come with my wife, but she died last week. The Brazilian says, 
I'm sorry to hear that. That's terrible. But can you find someone else, a friend, a relative, maybe a neighbor, to take her seat? The Englishman shakes his head and said, no, they're all at the funeral. <laughs> that's pretty good. <laughs> that's pretty good. That's pretty good. <laughs> so, I, 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 I purposely was looking for a downer in the conversation to, to tell this one. It was kind of perfect timing. That was pretty no, good. it was it was funny against Korea because I was at home with my wife, and you know, you, I, just I was, the two of you watching it. Yeah, because it was game was right after practice, so I came home really quick. You know, and I work. Put on I your live Brazil right shirt. By, I live right by work, so I was like, as soon as the game is over, I'll go back to work. So <laughs> I'm there watching the game, and Neymar is getting ready to take the PK. She's talking to me and telling everything about her job and her day and whatever. <laughs> as Neymar is like running to the ball to take the PK, yes, and dear. I'm trying to like, <laughs> yes, dear. I'm, I'm like, yeah, oh, that's great. And Neymar is running to the ball, and I'm like, yeah, uh huh. And then he scores, and like she's talking, I'm like, go. <laughs> and she's like, it's like, I'm like, I'm sorry, I, I'm trying to pay attention. She's like, okay, you're fine. This time you're fine. I'm like, I'm sorry, but you oh have boy. to understand what's the happening. The game is He's on. still in his honeymoon, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Wait, a f- I, wait a few years, you won't be fine, believe me. It's, beca- it's because when I watch soccer, usually, I'm, I don't care. Like, if I'm watching EPL, if I'm watching whatever, I don't care. Not even, like, the Brazilian teams that I support. Like, I, I don't care that much. It's just the World Cup. The World Cup. Soccer for me, in terms of passion and going crazy, is every four years. Nothing else really matters. Right. So, so while we're laughing, let's let's go to another one. Um, Miroslav Closer, does that ring a bell? Of course it does. Yeah. What what record does he hold? Yeah, most, most goals, goals in the ever World Cup. Cup. Uh huh. Okay. So you know, Mbappe is coming for his record. Here's the, the comment: Miroslav Closer's goal-scoring record is devalued by the fact. A lot of them came in seven goal thrashings of weak sides like Saudi Arabia and Brazil. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Saudi Arabia just beat Argentina, so... Saudi Arabia just beat Argentina, so... Oh, see the reaction? Uh, yes! It's even better when he reacts that way. Because then his, his hatred of Argentina comes out. Uh, uh, <laughs> I had to throw that one in. It's that fine. Absolutely I love it. brilliant. Absolutely. Uh, uh, okay, so as we, as we start to wrap up this episode, as we start to prepare to actually watch matches again, these last two days, I haven't known what to have on the TV. Um, uh, tomorrow we've got quarterfinals. Um, Saturday we've got quarterfinals. Um, who are your picks? Like what, who do you, Andy, I, I, you say Argentina is the team you expect to win, right? That if you're, if you're putting money on a team right now, you're still calling it Argentina. Good odds. Vegas is playing a I'm lot. Just, I'm going with the goal. I think Messi is the greatest of all time. No disrespect to Pelé. It was a different era, and you know Messi, Messi plays just at a different level. You know, and in a different era when it's faster, it's it's more difficult uh, than it than it was in Pelé's time. You know, in so many ways. You know, so you know, and the, you know, this is just basic physiology. The training these days is so much better than it ever was. Players are fitter, they're faster. You know, and Messi def- defense is a, a better verse. They're more tactical. You know, they they know how to destroy threats. And Messi's been able not to su- just to survive but prosper now for such a long time. You know, he's been doing it since he was 17 in Barcelona's first team. You know, and so. You know, the guy is, he's had longevity at the highest level, which is unbelievable. Pelé was out of, 
you know, and arguably never really even played in an EPL quality club environment. I'm, you know, I'm and done. you know, I'm done. <laughs> Brazilian soccer is a hundred times better than the EPL at that time. And you're not biased. No, it's true because we won three World Cups out of four in that those decades. And well, let's just say that Brazilian soccer was the best out there because you know maybe the rest of the stuff was bad in the, in those days. So it was the best out there, but it, it still wasn't even close to what the EPL is today, relatively. I would I would agree with that because you look at the EPL. The EPL is not the English league; it's an international league. It's the it's the league in which the best, the greatest, the greatest number of of uh, of the best players in the world uh, participated. Yeah, and, and they and that's what the Brazilian was. Can it, can at you that time? The no, best it was just players the were all, Yeah, and they were all the best players. <laughs> that's why they won three World Cups we're, out of four. We're going down, you know, <laughs> on you know the this rabbit hole again, and you know, and one of these days, you know. Philippe, Brazil are going to lose and Philippe's going to pull out a gun and top himself and you know so we've got to stay away from this for, for the sake of Philippe's mental health we've got to stay away from this subject so can we switch up a little bit because I cannot stand penalty kicks as a way of deciding the context. Okay, this is actually a good conversation. For those of you that are listening, I know where Andy is going here. What he is going to propose as the best way to, 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 to determine a winner. Um, Take uh, one I, player off each team. Go on, Andy. I, I, well, I, because it, we lived it. Because you used to run tournaments and you did this so, in so overtime and it was fantastic. For the readership, the... the the readership, the, the the listenership that doesn't understand the background is, you know, our organization, you know, for want of a better way of putting it, owned and ran, you know, the National Indoor Soccer Championship and, you know, the, the second most important tournament to the USYSA National Youth Championship. the Outdoors. The outdoors, the Super Clubs National Championship. And, you know, we had finals at Disney's Wildwater Sports every year. And, you know, if you got knocked out of State Cup, you wanted to be in the Super Clubs because yep. that was where the teams that got knocked out of State Cup went to try and get to a national championship. So, you know, we had these two great championships, you know, and, you know, we were presented with an opportunity to make our own rules. You know, and so at this point in time, because I could make my own rules for the game, you know, I said, I don't care if I get some flack. And I got a lot of flack for this. Did you really? I would have thought coaches would have loved it. Any change, any change is going to get you flack because people get in their comfort zone. Comfort zone is the danger zone. You're not progressing, but people like what they know and they're really afraid of what they don't know and they're not familiar with. So just for that reason alone, I got a ton, ton of criticism and I had to defend it and defend it and rationalize it and rationalize it. But here's the thing. After one experience of doing it, every coach that had this opportunity flipped and came up to me and I, literally every coach because the game was decided by playing soccer. Mm -hmm. So what we did at the end of regulation in the outdoor tournament, you know, the super clubs regionals that we had all over the country, is when there was a, a tied game in an elimination round, not in round play, just in the semi-final, the final, we went to, as soon as the overtime started, you had to take two players off. So you went from 11 on 11 to 9 on 9. Five minutes in, you had to take two more off. So we went to 7 on 7. Uh, Five minutes more in, we had to take two more off. Went to five on five. We never got beyond it. Mm -hmm. A winning goal was scored, but a winning goal was always scored because the rules stayed the same in, for the game, offside and everything. A winning goal was always scored with some passing, some dribbling, some shooting, defending, jockeying, channeling, all the skills of the game. It was phenomenal. And as soon as the coaches experienced this, 
they changed their mentality. And where did we start it? We used to run the National Indoor Soccer Championship, the boarded game, the MISL game, you know, and, you know, we started it by doing the same thing in the Indoor Championship. You know, you know for the start of the overtime, you take one off. You know, two minutes in, you take another one off. You know, three minutes in, you take another one off. So now you've gone from six on six, you know, down to four on four, three on three. That's not my memory of the indoor game because I have a very specific memory of a national semifinal against the Cleveland Internationals, I think it was. Right at the start of indoor, we went 3v3, two plus a keeper. Um, and uh, I think we did a drop ball to determine, like we, the the game started with a drop ball. If my memory serves, you know what, and, your memory might be better and, than mine. I can I can still visualize it. No, might be your memory <laughs> is better than mine. You're right, it was, it, and it was drop ball. And so what you did because you invented the rule, you know how best to play it. So this is a high stakes game against a fantastic team out of Cleveland. Um, we're tied. I think the goal the score is like three three or something, fairly low scoring for indoor. Um, we go straight to three on three, and Philippe, you play professionally indoor, so you can put yourself in the shoes of this game. Because you developed the um, the, the rules, you started with two field players and our full time keeper in goal, and the other team thinking three v three, we want to attack three against two. We're going to start our. Uh, two field players, and then a field player in goal. Um, and so the drop ball happens. They win the drop ball. They have the ball. And they keep it for the first two minutes. I mean, it felt like forever. Just passing and shooting and hitting the boards if they sub? missed. Could you sub? You could sub at any point you wanted, yes. Passing and shooting and hitting the boards. They, it'd come back to them because they were in a better position. They took the shot, right? When it comes off the boards and it comes back out, they win it again. It was two minutes. Our keeper made numerous saves, right? And finally, we got the ball. And as soon as our keeper got the ball in his hands, Right, they retreated all the way across the field back to their own defensive third. At this point, they're probably tired, and so Brett Clark, our keeper, a fantastic keeper, not particularly dynamic with the ball at his feet. Uh, big, big, big guy gets the ball, puts it down to his feet because nobody's defending him at this point, and dribbles over to our bench. Leaves the ball by our bench, steps off the field, and on comes Ryan Kaufman, who was fantastic in the 1v1, right? And now, at this point, we've defended, right, with our keeper in goal, and Ryan dribbles up the field. I mean, within 15 seconds, I think it was a quick little interchange between him and Jesse Baker. Ryan does a Matthews and buries it. But to be fair, against their field player playing in goal, to be fair, had it been a, a proper keeper uh, in, in, in the net, uh, maybe he'd, he'd had a chance to save it. <laughs> but we went, ended up going through. And then we played another Cleveland team in the final who'd beaten us in regionals the, the previous summer. Uh, um, I think like 4-1 or 5-1, beating us pretty good outdoor. Um, and so they, we go into this game and they're like, oh, this will be easy national championship for us. And we just wipe the floor with them. I think we beat them like 5-1 or 6-1. And, and you know, for the sake of the audience this is when the national indoor championship there Big wasn't deal. any football this was the only indoor game and it was massive you know and your team won five more than any other team has ever won in one age division yep. your team won five national championships and if you're new to our our podcast go back and listen to episode 9 10 11 12 somewhere in there we have a full-on episode discussing futsal you should know our opinion on futsal um in as much as small-sided soccer with a real soccer ball is in our opinion significantly more developmentally advantageous than small-sided soccer with a low bounce ball that's easy to control and when you pass it it goes slower so the game slows down um, and this isn't just an opinion we uh, you know i've literally sat through there's there's stats uh, hundreds stats of hours it. of both forms yep. there's massive stats behind yep. it and and when people say oh it's a really fast game it's not a really fast game when you pass a futsal ball 
it goes slower than when you pass a real soccer ball. 40%. And so if you have an option of playing 5v5 with a real soccer ball or 5v5 with a low bounce, easy to control, easier to pass ball, you should play with a real soccer ball. It's like I got in a Twitter or a Facebook exchange and a, a Facebook group to, last night and I'm still fired up about it. But I, I, it's obnoxious. It's, it's, it lacks logic. Um, open your eyes. Look at the game. It's slow because the ball moves slow. This is in a comparison, In comparison to 5v5 with an actual soccer ball. It's a mandated stat. Football balls have to have 40% of the rebound capability of a regular soccer ball. Yep. And, and you know, it does the work for you. Your first touch doesn't have to be as good. In fact, it has to be under half as good to get the same result. Now, don't get me wrong. I think futsal is better than playing basketball during the summer. I think it's better than playing ele- or during the winter. I think it's better than playing 11 v 11, you know, but it doesn't hold a candle developmentally to small-sided soccer, 5v5 with a real soccer And ball. you lose an absolute ton of time because the ball leaves the field yep. and inevitably it takes time to put it down and kick it back in. Sure. You know, and with boards all around the field, the game just goes and goes and goes. So go back and listen to that episode. I think we call it Slaughtering Sacred Cows. Yep. Uh, is futsal really the best option? Uh, I linked it in that Facebook group. Hopefully, hopefully somebody will listen to it. Um, and with that said, I'm looking at my watch. Philippe, you've got training in yep. 30 minutes and uh, you'll get fined if you're late. Um, Andy's calling Argentina. Philippe's calling Brazil. Brazil. Um, I'm saying I'm saying France, but uh, honestly, um, the Brazilians and Argentinians will be surprised by this. I prefer Argentina to win because I want to see Messi win it. But I'd be very happy to see Brazil um, uh, win it as well. So no, bear in mind that I'm calling Argentina, and Argentina was the last country that that uh, England went to war with, you know, or Britain went to war with, you know. So you know, this is. This is not sentimental for me. Yes, it is. You just feel guilty. That's why. You're, you're <laughs> well played, Philippe. I mean, I, I first called that the U.S. was going to win it, uh, but they're since out, so now I've got to pick another team. Now, in all seriousness, out of the eight teams that are left, who are the five most probable ones that can win out of the eight? There's only three that can win, I think. Sure. I think it, I think it's Brazil, let, let, Argentina, or uh, France. I don't think the rest let, of them let, have Let's of include England and Portugal and call it five. I won't, of I won't include England. I, I, nothing will set American soccer back more than England you're winning ruining, a World Cup. You're ruining my point. Okay. My point is the five most skillful players, most skillful teams, with the teams with more skillful players, the five of them are in the last stages, and the five of them, you know, with all the respect to Croatia, Morocco, and the Netherlands, I think these five are the most, the five more skillful hey, teams. Real quick, Croatia's only got four million people. You know, how are they doing what they're doing? And it's that small soccer. There's small fields everywhere, you know, in, in you know, the Croatian cup, capital. And you beautiful know, beaches. And, know, the coach, and the culture. They yeah. play, they, they yeah, love they play. soccer. Yeah, they love, yeah, they love it, soccer. You know, the, the old Yugoslavia was the Brazil of the Balkans, right? You know, and so they, you know, they play the skillful game, you know, so they're able to punch way above their weight, yep. you know, because they, they focus on skillful players. So you, you know? look, so then you look at the last day to have a team that is punched way above your weight because they focus on small sided games in their youth and, you know, they are focusing on the skillful side of the game. Because their culture focuses on small-sided games. Like it's, it's just part of what they do. It's not a coached endeavor. And you get the Ger- the, the Germanys and the Spains that are more possession-oriented and less vertical and less risk-taking, and they're out. And I've got a really you know, knowledgeable friend here in town that's Portuguese, you know, and he's been telling me for years that, you know, that in Portugal they've been focusing on the individual skills to an intense degree, you know, at the youth level, at the, you know, at the young club level, 
And I think we're seeing the, the products of that now. Man, which, they look good. This you know, week. That, that kid that came in as center striker, good. you know, and started the game and scored a hat trick. You know, his finishing was absolutely dead yeah. idea. Yeah, you, know, you got tremendous. you got you got that Rafael Leon coming off the bench. He's also a good player, skillful, take people on, scored a couple goals already in the World Cup. I mean, they, they have they have talent. For know. sure. All right. Uh till next time. We'll see you guys next week, probably post semifinal, as we wrap up the semifinals and talk about the impending final. What what Brazil versus France. Goodbye, guys. Uh, Brazil versus England. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. <laughs>